Lord Jesus, uh, for this time in your word and for your servant Peter, we give you great thanks. We pray that our eyes will be opened uh, more and more to your grace and that we might be made more self-aware uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, Joe Gibbs did a really good job this morning. Uh, not uh, that he, he doesn't really do a good job, but he did an exceptional job this morning. And um, uh, it dovetails nicely uh, with what I am uh, going to speak about this morning. This morning we're going to talk about Peter. Uh, just plain old Peter that we know from the New Testament. Uh, we've been talking about different uh, types of people, and my hope has been uh, in this, uh, our five-week series, to cover the gamut of people that we encounter. Uh, some of them might be you. Uh, when it comes to uh, Christianity, so we spoke initially about George Whitfield, who was a Pharisee, basically. Uh, he thought that if he was just really good and could get his act together, then he would be able to get into heaven. And he did lots of really wonderful and great things. In fact, you could go to uh, Savannah, Georgia, and there still is the Bethesda um, Orphanage Home for Boys that he helped start with the Wesley Brothers that is still in operation today. Uh, he would visit people in prison. Uh, he ended up uh, coming to conversion. He did all these wonderful things before he was a Christian. And he ended up coming to conversion uh, because he fasted so much during Lent that it put him to bed. He was bedridden from his holy fasting. And his eyes were quickly opened. This hadn't worked. Uh, and uh, he became a Christian there and realized that all of that stuff was just a false ladder to heaven. And then we talked uh, about uh, temptation and Romans 7. Uh, but what does uh, the Christian life uh, look like? And... Um, our own condition, uh, knowing what George Whitfield did, that uh, that even the best that we have to offer is under attack uh, from the cross, uh, that even what we have going for us is not going to be good enough. And um, uh, that's one of the things that always gets me about our communion prayer, is that we ask God not to weigh our merits, but pardon our offenses. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, growing up, I worked hard for merit rewards. You know, uh, that, that was something that I, I wanted a merit scholarship. Uh, merit was something that was good, but we asked God, God, don't weigh even the good stuff we have going for us. Even that which we could brag on and we think is really great, don't weigh that because we're still going to come up lacking. And then we talked about uh, Mad Jack Ravenscroft, who, uh, being crazy, became the first bishop of North Carolina. And he uh, was the opposite of George Whitfield, uh, that he was just did whatever he wanted. He lived uh, a licentious life. Uh, the only time he went to church was because he knew that his mother was going to ask. And uh, really, uh, it was from uh, thinking on his life that he thought, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. Like, I've done the eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow I die, and it's not working out for me. And so he opened up the scriptures and began to think about them. He had two plantations in Virginia, and he could ride between the two of them. And during those rides, he would think about the scriptures. And uh, coming from one plantation back home, uh, during that five-mile ride on horseback, when he got off the horse at his home, he was a Christian. Got on the horse, not a Christian. Got off the horse, uh, a Christian. And then uh, last week, we talked about uh, what freedom in Jesus looks like. And we used a Pixar video, uh, the little short film for the birds. Uh, and that there is... Um, a freedom that to some might be reckless, uh, but to those of us uh, who are in Christ, 
um, it really is freedom. And you can uh, charge hell with a water pistol uh, because your confidence is not in yourself or in your identity or in your merit, uh, but your confidence is in Jesus. And that brings us to Peter, who is a crazy mix of all of those things. Uh, he is the everyman. Uh, everybody can find a little bit of themselves in St. Peter uh, from his calling up until his death in Rome where he was crucified uh, upside down uh, during the great persecution that broke out uh, after Rome called the fire and the Christians were blamed. Well, Peter, the thing that I hope that we can take away from Peter is that what Peter struggled with was the truth about himself. Peter really oftentimes would fall back on his own strength and not rely on the Lord. And when he would hear the Lord say one thing, he thought the complete opposite of what the Lord was trying to get at. Now that's me. Right? Because oftentimes I'll hear, I'll read, I'll hear the Lord, I'll read the Bible, and, um, and I will think that it is, um, uh, you know, and I still do this, I, I still have a daily devotional. Um, and normally, uh, for those that get like a, a, a daily devotion, like email or something, it, it's normally a lovely floral background where maybe there's some kittens involved. <laughs> it says something like, uh, uh, the, the Lord loves you and uh, try your best today. That's kind of the gist of it. And I would get those, and I would think, yes, I'm ready to tackle the day. And then I started using another uh, devotional, and it, um, and you know, this guy um, who we've mentioned before, um, Bo Geertz, the devotionals in the uh, it's huge, the devotionals in the bookstore. You know, his are uh, the opening verses, uh, "From dust you came, to dust you shall return." Uh, and it goes from there. Um, and, and you walk away, but what you walk away with is not this overwhelming sense of defeat of I'm a total worm, uh, but you walk away with this sense of awe and wonder at what Jesus has done for you and for me as a broken sinner. As a broken sinner. And uh, that is the message that constantly had to be hammered away with St. Peter. It's the message that needs to be hammered away uh, to us. And if each of us knew uh, how sinful we really are, uh, we would not be so shocked or subdued by our failures. But most of us don't know the depth of our own depravity. And so we are shocked particularly by a fall into serious moral sin or by our surprising ability to deny Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened with St. Peter, who Jesus called what? Peter, which means in Greek, rock. Right, he's the rock. And uh, he, I mean, talk about, uh, you know, it's like calling a guy who's six, it's like me calling Keith Sloan tiny. Right? You, know, uh, you know, or someone who's really tiny, big hawks. You know, it's, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And yet, uh, I love you. Keith's right. So, but I mean, here is Peter, who's clearly not a rock, and yet Jesus calls him the rock. Now, I don't know about you, have you all ever had a, a, a teacher who, growing up, um, imputed righteousness to you? But you probably were not the smartest kid in the class. You might have been, but I don't know. Uh, but they told you that you were really gifted and wonderful, and uh, this might have happened. This happened with, I was lied to in baseball. <laughs> I, was, I was great. Like, you really have gotten together, Andrew. You're really, you're really making things happen. 
uh, the baseball team were so so proud of you. And um, and it turned out that uh, later on I found out that uh, by my teammates I was described running the bases as one who had a parachute attached to my rear end. <laughs> but you know what? When they told me, but here's the thing, and I, and I was thinking about this the other day because I went back to high school and looked over my batting averages. I can point to the moment that they lied to me. Right? That they told me that I was a good baseball player when I wasn't. And guess what? My batting average did what? It went up. It went up. Right? And so all of a sudden, I was, you know, I, I know they're sick, but, but it was a lie. It was like, but that's, but at the same time in my heart of hearts, if you ask me, are you a great baseball player? I would say, no. I would say no. My coach once dropped the ball on it and said to me, he got mad in the dugout, and he said, if y'all, if Andrew Pearson had as much talent as he has heart, he'd win the States every year. <laughs> so, um, but that was not, uh, you know, what Jesus does for us is he looks at us, and yes, you're sinful, and yes, you're totally broken, and we are anything but a rock, and yet, he calls us a rock. He calls us righteous and blameless. Not uh, in order to, to play a mind trick on us, but he can't help but do that if you're in Jesus Christ. Right? He sees you and me through the lens of Jesus Christ, which is perfect righteousness, in spite of the fact that we're not. And so even though we're broken and flawed individuals, Jesus loves us. He knows us through and through. Now, I want to bring up two moments, in, uh, at least, in the life of Peter that is writes this large in the sky. The first was in Matthew 16, uh, beginning with verse uh, 13, where Jesus has taken the disciples as far north as they will ever go, at the headwaters of the Jordan River to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's, if you like the cloisters or the Greenbrier or the homestead, this is the place for you, if you're able to go back in time to the first century Palestine. It's really lovely. It's great. Uh, it does have, at the time, it had a little bit of a Vegas vibe to it. Uh, but nonetheless, it was peaceful, it was beautiful, it was lush, it was lovely, uh, and it was a center for pagan worship. In fact, um, Greek uh, mythology says that this there's a cave there where the Jordan River literally begins to bubble out. This is where the Jordan River starts. And uh, Greek mythology teaches that this is where the god Pan, the sort of half-man, half-goat, was born in this cave. So there's a temple of Pan that you can visit today. And if you look up in the rock walls, uh, there are all these little niches where these Greek gods were. And so people would come and they would enjoy the springs and enjoy the water and they would enjoy the pagan ritual. And they would do all of these things. And Jesus takes his disciples there and in the midst of them, in the midst of all of this going on, all of these distractions, all of these idols, uh, Jesus asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Right, you have a buffet of options. And the pressure is on. Because they're, they're not in they're sitting there in the hustle and bustle of all the activity, and Jesus asks them this question, and there were people probably listening. There were people probably listening because they recognized that these men were Jewish. And guess what Jews didn't go? Caesarea Philippi. They didn't go there, so they thought, what are these guys doing there? So they're listening, and Jesus asks, it is a big name at this point, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he was speaking to all of his disciples, that's their answer. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? This is intense. This is a direct, intense question. This is a, like a final exam uh, type question. And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 right? I mean, this, this is it. This is the right answer. This is the answer that is, it's, there's no qualifications. Uh, Simon Peter declares exactly who Jesus Christ is. And he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and all this rock, meaning it's a play on words, but he's not talking about Peter. He's talking about Peter's declaration of who Jesus is. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I mean, bound, bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Okay, so this is this big dramatic moment that's happened, and you got to know that Simon Peter is is riding high, right? Yeah, I mean, he got the answer right, and we've all been that. When you get the answer right. Right in class, and you feel so good about yourself. And unfortunately, what that does is it gives you a little bit of confidence to answer the next one. <laughs> and uh, from that time, from that time, this is just uh, verses away. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So immediately from that moment, in Caesarea Philippi, to their going back down the Jordan uh, River Valley. Uh, actually, they probably, because the transfigure happens, they probably got to cut over and head more to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they're heading down that way, Jesus is telling them, look, I I'm going to have to be handed over to suffering and death, and I am going to die, um, and then on the third day, I will rise again. All right, so now we're getting into the heavy stuff. And Peter <coughs> just aced this quiz. You know, I mean, the story of Peter is aces the quiz, fails the final exam kind of guy. And he says this. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But then Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That is a far cry. I mean, you're a rock. You're solid. I can depend on you. To so just verses later, you're the enemy and you're a hindrance. So that's a 180 degree turn. But this is the story of Simon Peter. This is his life, where he has incredible highs for his walking with fellowship with God. He seems to be getting everything right, and then when he fails, he fails miserably and tragically. And there are little clues throughout the gospel that um, we see that show us that what Simon Peter spent a lot of time doing, again, was hearing Jesus and then kind of looking in on himself for his reactions of what to do next. So Jesus has just told him, Simon, you're the rock. You're solid. On this declaration of faith, I'm going to build my church. And, and you are a real leader in this great movement uh, that will change the face of the earth. And so what is Peter hearing? Peter is not hearing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
He's hearing Peter, Peter, Peter. And so in his own confidence, he goes to Jesus and says, you've got to cut this nonsense out. Because our ministry is about victory, not suffering and death. And you couldn't even hear this third day I will rise again business. And Jesus says, Peter, this is not about you. This is not about you. Now, I don't know, when I say things that are kind of negative about me, I can understand where Peter's coming from. If I said, you know, I'm really struggling, I'm not, you know, I'm not so, you know, really what that sometimes is is an invitation to tell me how much you love me, right? Tell me how great I am. Oh, no, Andrew, you're going to be all right. Surely not. Things are fine. You're gifted. You're talented. Look at how well things are going. We've got a big crowd around us, Jesus. And that's what Peter is trying to do. But that's because Peter has misunderstood what Jesus is saying to him, and he's misunderstood his own nature. He thinks that it's about him, and that Jesus' word, yes, it is to him, and it is for him, but it's primarily about Jesus, and not about Peter. So often, uh, I remember when I was in high school, somebody once uh, said, now what is, uh, when you go through the Bible and read, what is this text saying to you? What is this text saying to you? And um, that's not necessarily a bad question to ask, but the ultimate question to ask is simply, what is it saying? What is it saying? Because if you start getting into this to you business, it could say, I mean, Lauren could say, well, I feel like it's saying this to me. And Simon Peter says, well, clearly it's saying this to me. And I can say, well, it's saying this to me. And you'll get a whole host of answers. Um, and yes, God does speak personally and directly to us, but ultimately, uh, when Jesus speaks, what is he saying? What is he saying at face value? And Peter had a hard time doing that and filtering it. Fast forward to the upper room. Jesus and his, has his uh, disciples there in John chapter 13. And uh, Peter, uh, Jesus says... Um, uh, Lord, J Peter says to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's just washing the disciples' feet. And Jesus answered, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you do not, you have no share with me. Simon Peter looked to him and said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Right? Jesus said to him, Look, Peter, the one who was made does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. So here again, uh, Peter having a hard time allowing Jesus to serve him and allowing Jesus to be who he is and actually not just rescue him, not just save him, but simply to wash his feet. Simply to wash his feet. And Jesus says, look, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And Peter's response is, all of me. It's total overkill. And he's like, you still, you still don't get it. That's not the point. This is not the point at all. And when he washed all of the disciples' feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He asked the disciples, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you are also to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture that this, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place. And when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And then he says, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, and Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple leaned against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? That was John. And Jesus answered, it is, it is he to whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Now, uh, Peter uh, is incredibly nervous uh, about this. And he says, Jesus gives them this new command that they love one another as he has loved them. And then Simon answers, where are you going? Jesus answers, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answers, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, Peter has seen this whole scene and heard what Jesus has said in the upper room. And he's silent until we get to verse 34, which I read. Peter's been stewing. He's been thinking on this about one who will betray and about all of this love. And so, in order to prove himself to Jesus, because all Jesus says is, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow me afterward. You <coughs> follow me. But Peter, again, takes it a step further and says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus' response is to say, you're going to betray me before the cock grows. That is Peter's constant reaction, which is to look into himself. To think that what Jesus is looking for is a greater response to service in him. To, uh, to, I mean, but basically what we're seeing here is that Jesus is able to see through all of those externals and actually see Peter's heart for what it is. So Peter's given all the right answers, but his heart is in a completely different place. Says, Lord, I lay down my life for you. And Jesus looks straight to Peter's heart and says, You say that, but I know that you won't. I know that you won't. And anytime Jesus says this back to him, saying, Look, you're actually going to deny me, Peter is, is crushed. Peter's totally crushed. Here's a little something. Have you ever given advice to somebody and told them that, Look, if you do this, then this will happen, and then they go do it? And you're thinking, What? How could you? What, what's wrong with you? I told you this. Well, guess what happens? He denies him, right? Even though he was told right in front of him that in fact he would be, that he would deny Jesus. And so let's look at that encounter in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus is denied, or Jesus is denied by Peter the three times. And it's not like Peter was up against any sort of big um, pressure uh, against people. Uh, in fact, um, 
it's, it's pretty clear that uh, it was a little girl. They recognized Peter because of his accent. So the people coming up to him, and they're not asking these questions that are very quiet, but they said, aren't you the one who, who hangs out with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? And he uh, ends up actually cussing at, at one point and says, I tell you, I don't even know the man. Uh, leave me alone. And at that moment, uh, the cock cries. And then uh, we have this time uh, where you know that this is been on Peter's heart, this is what he is thinking about all along on his mind, that he actually did. Here was a guy who he thought to himself that he had so much potential and so much ahead of him, and yet he's a total failure. He denied the Lord even to a little girl. And then we have this encounter of the risen Lord in John chapter 21, where Jesus restores Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, have you ever had a lunch where you've been around someone and there's the elephant in the room, right? And, and part of you hopes that it, it just someone says something about it, but there's another part of you that you would love to have small talk and chit-chat and just get out of there, um, sort of like supper club. You know, you just want to eat as fast as you possibly can. You know, that's me. Husbands are like that. Not you. But um, invite me to your supper club. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, remember, up to this point, Peter was about projection. He was about projecting this idea that he had it all together, that he had a name to live up, of, live up to as Peter the Rock. But here we have Jesus calling Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now he's reverted back to Peter's old name, which actually means uh, pebble. Little pebble. Do you love me more than these? Now in uh, English we have one word for love, uh, so in the same breath you can say, I love my children and I love cheeseburgers. Right? But clearly, you're talking about two different kinds of love. And here, um, with the love, the love that Jesus is talking about, which is the, the word that is used to describe the love that God has for us, the little Greek word called uh, agapeo, agape. Uh, you may have heard that word before. And that is a self-emptying, one-way love without any ex- expectation of reciprocation. And a 100% love. Unconditional. And Jesus asked Simon Peter, Do you love me this way? And Simon says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, the word that Simon Peter uses for love is the word phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love, uh, which is about 60% love, right? I do love you, but you know, there are times where it's kind of conditional and, you know, I love you. So all of a sudden, Peter has finally gotten to the place in his life where he's self-aware and realizes that Jesus is looking on his heart like he looks on our heart. And in spite of our outward behavior and in spite of our lip service, Jesus asks Simon Peter, do you agapeo me? And Simon Peter just shakes his head and says, Lord, you know that I only phileo you. You know it. You know it. Jesus says, Feed my lambs. Then he asked the second time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Uh, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Simon Peter says. And feed, Jesus then says, gives him a command to feed uh, his sheep. This is an amazing encounter and is an incredible restoration because here what Jesus keeps saying is, Peter, I agapeo you. I love you without condition. And yet I know that you phileo me. I know that you phileo me. There is um, a church on the outskirts of, well, it's part of Rome now. You can go there today. It looks kind of like an old townhouse. Um, but legend has it they built this church there because during the great persecution that broke out uh, at the, uh, in Rome um, when it caught fire, Simon Peter hightailed it out of Rome. And uh, the story goes that he encountered Jesus on the outskirts of town, which was then outside of the walls. And um, Peter asked Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus says, I'm going to Rome, Peter. Where are you going? Of course, Peter's the leader of the church in Rome at this point. And Peter gets off his knees and realizes, same old Peter. And Peter does get back on his horse, turns around, and uh, and goes back into Rome. Maybe an apocryphal story, but if the shoe fits. Uh, And we see it throughout the New Testament. uh, His interactions with St. Paul over the circumcision uh, crisis in the church and Judaizing Christians. Time and time again, uh, Peter capitulates. He falls, uh, in spite of the fact that here is someone that has been called Peter uh, the Rock. And never really in touch with himself. But after this restoration, what he is in touch with, and what he understands, and what Jesus wants us to understand, is how great his love is for pebbles and rocks. That there isn't an expectation. I mean, my I want to give the Sunday school answer. That's my personality type. Andrew, do you agapeo me? Jesus, you know I agapeo you. You know it. What I know is something different, Andrew. And that's the truth of the matter. And Jesus actually allows Simon Peter to be honest in this. And Simon Peter repents. And yet, Jesus doesn't say, Simon Peter, when you get your act together, and when you can finally agapeo me, then we can talk. Then we'll talk about feeds and sheep. But until then, uh, you can just stay with the goats. Because that's just the way that it's going to be. But that's not what Jesus does. And many in the Christian life forget the lesson of St. Peter. I read a very moving story. If uh, Some of you have probably read Becky Pippert out of Salt Shaker. Um, her best book is um, Hope Has Its Reasons. And in it, she read, relays the story of a young woman who had just graduated college and was serving on staff at, uh, on a youth ministry in a large evangelical church. And this is not a commentary about evangelical churches. This is not a commentary about social issues like abortion, which I'm about to um, talk about. But it is simply relaying the story to you because it fits. And this young woman went to hear Becky Pippert speak. And uh, Becky Pippert uh, was talking about God's unconditional love for sinners. And no matter what you've done in life, God loves you and will forgive you 
for that thing that you even think is unforgivable. And this young woman lingered behind and she made her way up to Becky Pippert and said, uh, you don't know me, you don't know my story. And what I've done is unforgivable. And Becky Pippert said, okay, well, what, what have you done? And she said she was a young girl out of uh, college, uh, had gone to work for the youth ministry. There was another guy on the staff there who was a youth minister, and they began a sexual relationship, and she ended up getting pregnant. And because she was so fearful of the judgment uh, from fellow parishioners and her friends who looked to her as this role model in youth ministry, she had the baby aborted. Now, months later, she and this boy eventually became engaged and got married. But she said that as she walked down the aisle, which should have been one of the most glorious and wonderful days of her life, as she walked down the aisle toward her husband to be married, and she saw all these faces from the church that she worked at looking at her, all she could hear those eyes say was murderer. You're a murderer. And she told Becky Pippert the story with tears in her eyes. And Becky Pippert said her response could only be chalked up to the Holy Spirit because she said she would never, ever say this. And it would be really not the right thing to say. And she looked at this young girl and she said, you've done much worse than that. You've done much worse than that. This girl was kind of taken back and she said, what do you mean? And she said, you murdered our Lord. Your human sinful condition uh, because of who you are and where your heart is and Becky Pippert's heart and Andrew Pearson's heart, uh, that is what sent Jesus uh, to the cross. And instead of being something totally disarming and offensive to her, uh, this girl's eyes widened and brightened uh, because then she saw, for maybe the first time in her life, the truth of the gospel that she had done much worse and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whether you're Simon Peter and you ace the quiz uh, and you get it uh, right, but you find you fail the final exam, or whether you're a young lady who thinks, uh, but you don't know what I've done uh, and it's not forgiven, uh, know this: that God agapeos you, that God's love for you is unconditional. And yes, you will stumble and you will fail and you will fall, but God's love never will, and His arm is never too short to save. And if uh, the other thing that I would leave uh, with you in this series is that um, in order to understand the depth of Christ's love for you and for me, it's to understand the depth, to use a theological word, of our depravity. Uh, the depth of our indebtedness uh, to Jesus Christ because of what he's done. If I think that I'm okay, then really I don't feel like Jesus had to die for much. Uh, but if Jesus had to die for everything, for all of my shortcomings and even the good things that I have to offer him, uh, then I am wholly indebted to him. And to know that somebody loves me like that, like Simon Peter, Andrew, you've done much worse. I see your heart, and I actually see that it's a lot worse than you make it out to be. And yet he says, I love you. Uh, that love actually makes you a different person. That love actually... Uh, makes you want to love in a way that you've never loved before. Yes, you struggle, but Jesus makes you different. And when you fall into those times where you think, I surely cannot be forgiven for this, even as a Christian, think upon his love for you. Think upon yourself being in the situation of St. Peter, 
And Jesus asked him, Do you agape with me? I know you don't, but I want you to know that I love you and my grace is sufficient for you. Today, for your past, and for your future. How boundless is God's love for us. Uh, and so that's where we'll leave it. I think Simon Peter's a good way to wrap up because he's kind of all of us uh, and all those guys wrapped into one. Final questions, comments, concerns. The Dean will be back next week. I think. I mean, he'll be back, but I don't know who will be here. Joe Gibbs, are you here? Okay. All right. Well, that was very powerful. I was going to show a clip, but technology never cooperates with me, even though I actually came in during the week and set this up uh, or tried it and it didn't work. But if you get a chance, uh, YouTube, uh, a British game show called Golden Balls. Uh, and it is a, uh, it's this, it, it's like the, it's like boarding a Southwest flight. It's, it's human nature that's worst, right? It encourages you to actually stand people. Oh, yeah, they have to split and they get this jackpot and there's one other person. Golden ball split or seal. That's what you need to query for YouTube. But um, but then the whole thing is that you have to um, you have this jackpot of money and you try to convince the other person to split it with you. But if they pick split and you pick steal, then you get it all. If you both pick split, you both split it. But if you both pick steal, no one gets anything. Uh, so it's it's awful but really great. <laughs> So, and, and, and talk about human nature. So, okay, so let's pray and we'll get out of here. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the witness of Peter and Lord for your great love for us that while we phileo you, you agapeo us. And that, uh, Lord, um, even those of us who think of ourselves as vile, uh, the greatest wretch of all, you yourselves, and you are the chief of sinners, Lord, that there is no one that is beyond your grace. And that we would rest in that knowledge that when the devil and the world tell us that, oh, God can never forgive you for that, that we would look to your cross as objective proof uh, that you love us in spite of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.